0: Hello everybody, welcome as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. Today we're in 1 John chapter 5. This is our 232nd meeting on the New Testament. Now I just like saying that, uh, because it's got some, that sounds good, right? Um, A week at a time, we're, we're, uh, you know, that's uh, four years plus, and we're we're heading towards the end. We've got First uh, John 5 today. We've got Second John to do, uh, which is one chapter. We've got Third John to do, which is one chapter. And then we should be into um, Revelation. So we miss a week right around September or the end of August. We'll hop into the book of Revelation. And uh, I'm looking forward to that study with you. So it should be, it should be a lot of fun. Um, but we are um, well into our study now. Um, chapter at a time as we've been working through it again the importance of all of this is is holding the scripture in context I want to make sure that you're doing that that you understand that, that we're to keep um, what we read in the context of how we read it that uh, you don't want to take things uh, out of um, how they were written you don't want to pick out little pieces and try and develop something that's not being said there you want to understand and hold on to the entire um, uh, gospel in the context in which it was written and that's extremely important and so by looking at it a chapter at a time it helps us to understand that Um, these books, uh, these letters that John wrote were um, towards the end of uh, 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 what we understand John's life to be probably around between 85 and 95 AD Um, so um, John has lived a good long life at this point and he is writing to the churches we've watched his uh, really his whole sort of demeanor and attitude change um, over the course of his life, he was pretty kind of rough around the edges when he started, and now he speaks um, constantly of the love of God. You'll see that happen again um, in this chapter. And he's going to address some um, key issues, particularly about life uh, and, and uh, faith in John chapter five, or First John five. So uh, one of the things he's going to talk about is sort of the, the meaning. Uh, he's going to talk about faith. And, and the core meaning of faith is is about a personal relationship that's established by trust and trustworthiness. And so as believers, for us to say, I believe in Jesus, is not so much a, a statement uh, affirming certain beliefs about Jesus as it really is an, an affirmation of, of trust. It's a confession that the person Jesus about... Uh, about who I learn in the Bible has become far more than just a historical figure to me. Um, I've recognized him as a real and and living person and and, uh, I I, I, I don't have to draw back in fear because he loves me and I have, um, in effect, constantly placed um, all I am and all I hope to be in his hands. Um, This is the idea of what it means to say I believe in Jesus. It's more than... Just understanding the historical figure. It's, it's believing uh, and trusting in him with all your life, in relationship about who he is and what he does and what he says, and what that looks like for us eternally. And uh, John will also make the point that whoever believes in God's Son has eternal life, that he is, in fact, he is in fact, all we need. Um, we don't have to wait for eternal life because it begins. The moment that we come uh, to uh, life in Him, um, the moment that we believe in Him, our eternal life begins. We don't need to work for it because it's already been given to us. We don't need to worry about it because um, God Himself has given it to us now and forever. And so these are the ideas that John will express as we talk about um, eternal life and life now in Christ and what it means to trust in Him and have faith. In Him. so let's dig in together 1 John 5, it's uh, 21 verses I'll be reading out of the NIV you can follow along in whatever translation you have or on the notes that I gave you or it may pop up there on the screen that would be great uh, let's see how it goes everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands This is love for God, to obey His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So. So. So, First John, chapter 5. The first five verses. Um, he really, John talks about faith. And that it's faith in Christ alone that results in our new birth. Verse 1 actually says, Everyone believing Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Our faith in Christ brings us into a love relationship with God. Because of this love relationship, we're changed from the inside out and our desire is to serve him and live by doing the next right thing because of his spirit within us we're able to join in the sanctification process and be changed see so, so this is the idea of of life we come, to, we come in Christ we we know Christ it's more than just you know believing about him we come into relationship with him and in this relationship with him filled by his spirit um, change begins to take place this is something that happens in our lives when we're when we're in we begin to change from the inside out um it it certainly doesn't mean that everything changes all at once because we we don't arrive um we don't be you know sanctification is a process not a boom although when when um jesus comes to get us we'll we'll be done whatever that looks like it all happens at that point whatever was left to be done but we're in process we're working through this in the lord and yet now um in him, this process begins to take place. And, uh, and so we're in this process. It's, uh, the, the churchy word is sanctification. And uh, it's, it's happening in us as we yield to his spirit. And because we've come to life in Jesus. And so all of this is, is part of the process of our, our faith being developed, our trust in him, and, and our life continuing to move on in him. But it says, you know, part of what we understand is um, that, that we, we get this whole deal because we're in love with God and our desire is to live for Him. So something changes in us. Um, you, know, you know, it might be that when we, when we first... A lot of times I think when we, when we first move towards Christ... Um, you, you know, when I first came to know the Lord, it was, it was really... Um, I think because I was desperate in a lot of ways. Nothing was going where I thought it would go. Um, I, was, I was hitting sort of, um, I was bottoming out um, in a lot of ways in my life. And uh, the, the avenues that I was chasing after that I thought would bring me life weren't working. And um, the, this emptiness inside me was increasing all the time. And uh, it, was, it was sort of in that place um, that I came to Christ. And and uh, you know my my whole th- really I I came to Jesus by by simply just saying um, at sort of the end of myself. Okay, I've heard about you. If you're real, here I am. And uh, that was my c- prayer of confession. Uh, that was it. And um, he, he the next day everything was different. It wasn't it wasn't perfected by any but I was absolutely different the next day. Um, and and so you know initially it was. It was, you know, I would say I came f- f- for me, um, and then all of a sudden, the realization of the life that he'd given me—it um, it changes your perspective. Then it should, at, at some point, you realize that what you've been, what you've received, is so amazing that it can't be about you anymore. It's got to be about him, and and then life begins to change, and and so, and that's part of the. It's a it's a long process, because um, I think we. We all, we deal with selfishness in lots of ways throughout our lives. It's part of our our nature that's you know we're we dealing with. But um, life is found uh, in following him. And that's what it says, and in in living life the way he wants you to, living it for him, because because that's what it's all about. So it's a it's a fascinating change that happens as we learn to trust him um, and know that he wants the very best for us. Then uh, in verses six through twelve. Um, it starts talking about Jesus being the way to God. And 1 John 5, 6 is a, uh, is a difficult verse that's caused a, that's caused a lot of debate. You find some of these in Scripture. And the 1 John 5, 6, the question that gets asked is, what did John actually mean by water and blood? Water and blood. Um, because there's a lot of different explanations and a lot of people have uh, hold on to different things. Um so you know does the water refer to his um, is it about his incarnation because he was born naturally and the, the water that they're referring to there is sort of the, the water breaking that, that happens just before a child uh, is born or is it a reference to his baptism um, at the Jordan River um, does the blood refer to his sacrificial death or perhaps in all of it is, is John referring to an incident that he records in his gospel in John 19.34 where it says instead one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Um, so there's a lot of ideas about exactly what those things mean you might have some very specific ideas and that's very good but there are a lot of different ideas about the process but in it john was talking about three sources of testimony so even why we might go back and forth on the first two um, the third source is is one that's uh, we can absolutely uh, understand and agree on and that's the holy spirit john 14 uh, he writes uh, john wrote in john chapter 14 of his gospel verses 15 and 17 through 17 if you love me you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. When we come to Christ, we are um, filled by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit um, bears witness to us that that what we've understood in Christ is a real deal. It, it, it's a, he gives us testimony that we have an understood and come into the truth. Apart from coming to that, you, he, you, it doesn't witness. It even says in there, people that don't yet, haven't come to Christ don't know um, this Holy Spirit. Um, although He's drawing people, they don't know Him. And so we know Him once we've come to Him. And uh, people who... Uh, because people who haven't received Christ don't yet um, have life, according to John. He says in verse 12, He who has the Son has life... He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, these verses um, angered people back then culturally um, because they wanted to have their own philosophies and their own little g gods and sort of do things they wanted. Um, this idea angers people today for the exact same reasons. not much has changed in two thousand years um, uh, and and culturally because we we've drifted away from the idea of an absolute truth um, we're, it's considered to be um, intolerant and incorrect to um, to believe that um, what John is saying here is true in the gospel um, because he says there's only one way to God and we have trouble in our culture, they did then too of, of taking that in, um, the culture does and uh, it's always a fascinating discussion I think with our Sunday night group one night, we, we were talking about this stuff. And uh, I said, I said, well, uh, you know, this whole idea about one way, how many ways should there be? That was my discussion. How many ways should, if it's not, if it's not one, how many should it be? Should it be six? Ten? Twenty? I mean, how many ways really should there be back to God? Because what would be the number? Because my, my contention is that if there were ten ways, people would want Eleven. If there were 15 ways, they'd want 16. If there was 25 ways, they'd want 26. Um, It would never be enough. And yet, the reality is... See, that's where we start to start... We we don't have this whole thing. Um, Because we we often think... We're we're like really something, I guess. Because uh, we don't deserve any way back. We don't deserve a way back. God created us for relationship, and every single one of us in our own way in time and often many times have said to God don't need you gonna do it my way we've turned our backs and worse and done things our absolute own way Um, so I mean we don't deserve it at all that there's a way back or ways back um, and, and so it's a change of perspective really and, and culturally people think well, they, I want what I want, I want to have my own philosophies, my own ideas I want to do whatever I want to do and, and that causes significant problems and I always come back to this whole thing because of that, because we've all turned and gone our own ways we're really amazingly fortunate that we have any way at all that there is a way back is an amazing deal, that there is a way that has been made for us by a God of the universe who we basically told we don't want anything to do with you, that He has made a way for us is is it's beyond fortunate. It's it's the that's why it's good news. That's why it's the best news. There's a way. We don't deserve a way. None of us are that good that we deserve a way. But he has made a way back um, in Christ. And and but but that's that's a that's why it's our mission is to is to somehow convey that message to a, a hopeless world. Um, and yet a world that, that is oftentimes thinking that they're okay and all right and they, they can do whatever they want to do and it's all going to work some out somehow um, we have this message and it's not, like, it's not a great popular message um, because of that it, it tells people that there's, you know we're a mess he's made a way but we have to move into that way and, and, and that there is a way is good news so this is always part of the process and it was then too it fascinates me that, that it was to say they had people struggle with it 2,000 years ago the way they do today they don't want to be limited into a way because in effect they just want to be able to do whatever they want to do and somehow get away with it but doesn't that sound like all of us that would be that would be you know if we could see that work. Well, we've all tried that but it doesn't work so there you go um, and then he goes on in verses 13 through 15 he talks about prayer and um prayer in Christ takes on a whole new meaning because in Christ now we have access to a holy God 24-7. And we can come with confidence, not because of anything that we've done, um, but because we understand that that we are seen now in Christ. Our our Wednesday group, uh, early group, and we were talking about that today, how um, we were talking about terms and uh, justification is the idea that, that because of what what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can now stand in the presence of God, a holy God, um, and, and because we've been, and are being justified, uh, and he sees us in Christ. So we no longer stand in condemnation, which is where we were before Christ. We are now in justification in Christ. And having that understanding allows us to um, pray with a great deal of confidence because we have access to the very throne room of God. And God sees us in Christ. It changes the dynamic um, in significant ways and um, John is uh, always he said listen when you, when you get to that spot where your, your connection um, with him in that understanding as you begin to pray in accordance with his will you're going to see things just opening up and happening um, but understand it's always as we get to that spot where we're praying in accordance with his will we, we sometimes are trying to get God to go along with our will and calling it his will um, and I have found that to be not very effective I don't know about you but uh I've tossed up to God some some really winner ideas that he wasn't that thrilled with <laughs> go figure so um <laughs> and yet you know he's so good God because um as we continually press into him, with this understanding that we have access to him, it begins to change the way we look at things. Our perspective changes. It's less about us and more about the bigger deal. And uh, it, it absolutely changes how we pray. And, and so um, over time, that selfishness begins to move away, which is what needs to happen. And it becomes more of a selfless prayer in line with the word of God. And then we begin to see amazing things taking place. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can go now with confidence because of Christ being our great priest and, and God always seeing us now in Christ those who believe in him and then he says in verses 16 and 17 that when we see a, if we see a Christian, a brother, a sister and the Lord sort of slip up we're to pray for them so that they can be restored That that's an important thing if you see someone it's kind of, you, you're to pray for them so they can be restored and then he talks about this thing that I, I wonder if you as I was reading it if you hadn't seen it before made you go what does that mean? the sin that leads to death did, you, did that pop out to you? Usually, I think it kind of does when you read something like that. You know, if someone slips away, that there are sins that don't lead to death, but there is a sin that leads to death. And the, the, I remember first time ever reading that as a new Christian, he was like, because <gasps> what if I got that one? What are they? What is the sin that leads to death? And then John really doesn't specify. He doesn't say, and this is what it is. He said, oh, be careful of that. Um, he does say this, and we know this already, that, because um, And make sure you know, that he, he says when we're in Christ, we don't continue to sin. The reality of that is um, that it's no longer our desire to go and do the things that we once did. That begins to change in us. We do still sometimes fall short of the mark, all of us will, when we have that discussion. But it's not what we're after. Something changes. I think there's a time, um, and in seasons, we go through things where... We're, we, we want to go Jesus' way and yet we're still really struggling with wanting to do things our way and we're sort of trying to do them and get away with it perhaps and yet over time as we really continue to press in the Lord that begins to change and we, it's not our desire to go do those things anymore we want to do it his way we may sort of fall short um, but that's not what we're after any longer and, and so th- things have begun to change um, so it's not that we'll never sin it just stops being our focus something happens in our journey in Christ over time. And it's all in this process of growing and changing. And that what once had a hold over us will stop, It will change, they'll be different. Um, in the course of my own life, you know, as a believer, I would say that He's continually working on me. And there are some definite issues that I had uh, 30 years ago when I entered that are, different, that are gone, but I'm st- He's still at work in me. But you know some of the things that were really you know that really had me trapped no longer do, not that I would go back to them but I mean they don't have any power over me any longer, so things change over time, um, and and that's the idea that's happening, so we continue to move in that. But I didn't answer the question well. What is the sin that leads to death? I'm, I'll take a shot at it because it's not defined. But I I believe in the context of the letter that um, we could speculate that because all these later gospels at the heart are dealing with the issue of false teaching false gospels, antichrist that um what, what John is referring to here is that people who turn away from Christ to follow after false teachings f- false prophets antichrist um they are leading in a direction away from Christ that has drastic consequences and that um that the the most likely possibility are people that become apostate really hadn't connected with Jesus the way they needed to and, and so they're just easily dragged away by um, the enemy and um, it, it doesn't leave them in a good spot so apostasy is effect it's turning away turning your back on Christian truth and Christian life and going after something completely different and, and I, I, I believe that's what John is talking about in this process that because he says, you know, people who you were among us and then they just left, they really weren't among us. They really weren't with us. They, they were there and then they were gone and that was all part of that process. So um, those are sort of the issues there in the fifth chapter of 1 John. Um, he's going to touch on some neat stuff again in 2 John, 3 John. So we'll get back to that um, in the weeks ahead. Looking forward to that and spending that time with you. And then we'll get into Revelation together. But that's certainly good for now. So uh, we'll shut down the recording and then uh, we'll do some prayer here. So please shut down the recording upstairs.